Well, thanks, Tom. I was not expecting that. Um, let's hold up our Bibles. This is something we're trying to make more practice here. But we do this so we can get our hearts in a position to receive from the Lord. This is not superstitious. It's not ritualistic, but it's just focusing our hearts. So let's, w- would you say this with me? This is my Bible. This is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Forever. All right, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 28. And before I actually get into that passage I'm having you turn to, I just want to tell you I'm very excited. I'm always excited to come and speak with you. But I was especially excited when Dave told me I'm going to be preaching in this series called The Abiding Presence because uh, the presence of God is just everything. I mean, I, I couldn't say more than that. I, I, I can. But for me, the Lord is everything, his presence with us, his abiding presence. So I was really excited. The interesting thing about it was I had in mind, oh man, I would love to teach on. And right as I was like, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to speak on? He's like, speak on this. I was like, really? And as he started unpacking it, I was like, oh, that's, that's good, Lord. <laughs> you see, Dave, myself, anybody else who would ever come on Sunday morning to speak to you, we don't come to give you a good idea. We don't come to share a concept. Uh, we don't even come to tell you how to live. We come only to tell you the word of the Lord. What is God telling you this morning? And I feel very strongly, and I've become more convinced as this week went on, that what I'm sharing with you this morning is not just a good idea from the Bible, but it is for you right now. It is, a, it, is a, it is a truth that if you will lay hold of it, it, it will change your life forever and for the better. I know that sounds like, whoa, that's, you know, you're, you're aiming high. I couldn't aim high enough because what the Lord has for you is above anything you could ask or imagine. I, I think of David when I, I think of what I'm about to talk about because King David or David, when he was a shepherd, woke up one day, and it was a normal day. He woke up, and he was doing chores. He was doing what his dad asked him to. Sure, his brothers are at war, but if you read the Bible, Israel was always at war. And who knows if this was his brother's first time or second time. You know, it's an average day in a crazy world, but for David, it's an average day. The day ends, though, with David having position in the army now, having become a hero having gained um, freedom from taxes for his family for their lifetime. How many of you would like that? Um, David had a, the promise of the king's daughter coming to him. And it, and it happened at the end of what seemed to be an ordinary day. And I want to stir something up in you that today you started this morning off maybe expecting something when you came, maybe not. And it might just seem like another ordinary day, but I'm here to tell you the Lord has something for you that literally is going to change your life if you were to hold to it. And I wouldn't say that lightly. If I was just sharing some teaching, I would just share the truth. I don't need to pump it up, but I really feel like you need to know that what I'm telling you this morning is the prophetic word of the Lord for you. Because I wasn't going to preach this message. (laughs) But the fact that he's like, you need to preach this one, I'm like, oh, this is for every person. This is for every person in the room. God is that good. He can actually design a message and hit all 100 people all at once. And the application for you might be slightly different, but the truth is for you. 
So let's turn to Genesis. In Genesis 28, we jump into a story about a man named Jacob. And Jacob is this interesting character in the Bible. You see, I love guys like Jacob in the Bible because they show me there's hope for me. Jacob was screwed up. Jacob came from a very dysfunctional family. Jacob didn't have everything together. His father Isaac loved his older brother better, Esau, because Esau could hunt and basically cook the food he likes. And a little side note, yes, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, and we see that in this story. So ladies, just, if you want to hook him, cook for him. I'm not, that's not a sexist thing, by the way. It's just, that's, we, anyways. So, I better stop. That was, I don't make rich. She likes to cook, by the way. Um, so, so Esau could cook the food Isaac liked, and Jacob was, uh, we believe he was more of a shepherd, which is the Bible phrase is he was a man of the tents, and that's what we think that phrase means. And so he was closer to home. So Rachel liked him better. So dad likes his brother. Ra- Mom likes him better. Already we got this tension going on in the family. Not only do we have the parents bringing in their own dysfunction, we have the kids themselves, they're, they've got their own issues. One time Esau comes to Jacob and Esau's like, Jacob, I am starving. I've been hunting. Will you give me some of this stew you're cooking? And apparently it was somewhere not super close to home because otherwise he would have gone to like his mom. But Jacob's there cooking. And Jacob says, well, give me your birthright. And what that meant was as the oldest, Esau had access to double the inheritance that um, Jacob would when Isaac would die. So two brothers, basically they would divide the inheritance into thirds and Esau would get two thirds and Jacob would get a third thinking, well, if I can, you know, improve my chances, Esau, will you switch with me? And Esau, being ridiculously dumb, says, uh, says, I'm so hungry, what's the use of my birthright? And he trades his birthright. And you have to understand, in Near East culture of that time, your word was your bond. Your bond was your word. Like, once you said it, you meant it, it was done. And then Esau despised his birthright because he basically gave it away. What does it show? Esau's um, immature and Jacob's a deceiver. Jacob's a swindler. He, you know, how, how nice is that to do to your brother? So we got this really like dysfunctional family with dysfunctional people and yet God decides I'm going to work in the middle of that. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to advance my plans and my purposes in that. I don't want to jump ahead of myself but just... For the record, you have no excuse for God not working in your life. I don't care where you came from. I don't care, um, you know, what you've done. God can work through anything. I'm up here. I mean, if you know me, you know, better, you know, if you know me like Tom, you know, Jesus is awesome and Kurt has become awesome because of Jesus. As you have become awesome as well. Jacob one day hears that his father's about to bless Esau with the blessing of the oldest. And whether um, Isaac had heard that Esau sold his birthright, we're not really sure. But um, Isaac's dying. His eyesight is gone, and he wants to give Esau his blessing basically before he passes. So he tells Esau, Esau, go out, catch the food I like, cook it for me, and I'm going to bless you because I'll be in a good mood. Um, 
So Esau goes out. Mom likes Jacob better, so mom's like, Jacob, go in there and act like your brother. So Jacob dresses in Esau's clothes. Jacob puts on fur um, because his brother was apparently hairier than him. And he goes in there and, long story short, tricks Isaac into thinking that Jacob is Esau and Isaac gives him his blessing. Isaac, Jacob gets the blessing, leaves, and Esau comes in and realizes it's gone. And again, in that culture, your word is your bond. Once dad gave it away, you can't take it back. And Esau's furious. And he swears to himself, when dad dies, which might be soon, I'm killing Jacob, I'm getting everything. Mom and dad hear about this. They send Jacob away to a place called Haran, which was about 450 miles from where they were at. That's like driving from here to Sacramento and 50 miles more. Um, It was far. And saying, go find a wife among your relatives, with your uncle, and get out of here before your brother kills you. So Genesis 28 jumps in the middle of this story, and we catch Jacob not having very much and only having maybe a hope for the future. He's hoping that his uncle's going to be good to him, which we find out later his uncle's not. He's hoping that things will pan out. He's hoping that someday he'll come back and get his inheritance. But this is a long journey. This is dangerous. Who knows what's going to happen? And that's where we catch him. So in Genesis 28 and verse 10, it says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it on his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and his top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. He woke up, and it wasn't an ordinary day, but things were actually looking really bad. And, you know, by the end of this day, I guess the day had ended, but by the end of this time, by the next day, everything had turned around. Now, circumstances hasn't turned around, but a key came in that would change his future forever. If you know the rest of the story, and Dave alluded to it a few weeks ago, that Jacob did go to Haran. He did meet his uncle. And his uncle cheated him ten times. And yet God was with him. When he should have had loss, he gained more. 
When he went in as a pauper, he left as a rich man. He had two wives, multiple children, um, sheep, goats, camels. I mean, you, you start reading the list. He's got a lot of stuff. And what was the key? What does he say here? What does God commit to him? His head's here in Genesis 28. It says here in Genesis 28, verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow, If God will be with me. He echoes what God said to him. I'll be with you. You see, the word of the Lord for you this morning, and this is what I felt God wanted me to share, is that all of you are about to step into a season in your life, and you're already, some of you, in that season where God wants to hook you up incredibly. He wants to bring good to you. Romans 8, 28 says, and everything God is bringing good for you. In 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about God is taking you from glory to glory. Another passage talks about from strength to strength. God is doing something awesome in your life. Just like David, he wants you to, at the end of this day, come out more than what you came into the day with. But the key is this, that you would know that God is with you. You see, there's a difference between having God with you and knowing God's with you. The abiding presence of God means when you gave your life to Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. I make you in charge of my life. God's Holy Spirit came inside of you and his presence, his spirit abides with you. But you can live like that's not a reality. King, uh, King David, he wasn't David, King David at the time, but David believed that. You see, Israel faced the Philistines, faced Goliath, and they had a promise from God from all the way back to the time of Moses that God would be with them in battle. Everybody had that promise. Only one man believed it. The entire nation of Israel, millions of people, had the promise that God would be with them in battle, that he would be for them in battle. And only one man believed, and that man succeeded. You see, I feel strongly from the Lord that some of you are stepping into a season, are in a season that the key for you to thrive, the key for you to get the upgrade that God has for you is to believe that God is with you. It's vastly important. David killed his giant and received the upgrade. Joshua was told, go into the promised land. And Joshua was looking, man, there's all these nations. Some of them are stronger than us. Some of them have better weapons than us. They're more powerful than us. What does God say? I'll be with you. So what does Joshua do? He believes that, and he has success. The apostles were told, preach the gospel. I will build my church, Jesus said. It was a promise. It doesn't look too hopeful for a new sect, a new religion, the way of God to prosper in Palestine after the religious leader got killed, after everyone hates them. And yet Jesus says, I will be with you, and I will build my church. So what do the apostles do? They believe God and thousands upon thousands get added to the church within just a week. Why did they do that? Because the apostles believed Jesus when Jesus said, I will be with you. You this morning need to believe that God is with you, not just with you in presence because I knew that, but there was a time in my life where I really struggled. Like, are you with me? Just with me? Are you for me? And you need to know that God is for you. He's not against you. He is for you. He's for you more than you even know. He's for you you, more than you even know. And the question this morning is, do you want to kill your giant? 
Do you want to have your promised land? Do you want to see the kingdom of God advance? I'm not telling you there's not going to be conflict because if you read all the stories I mentioned, David had to kill a giant. Joshua had to defeat a bunch of nations. The apostles got persecuted, had to endure in the face of trials and tribulations. I'm not telling you there's no problems in your future. Some of you are in it and some of you are about to face something. But I'm telling you, you should be excited that you're about to face something because God's about to give you an upgrade. I'm not saying be happy you're going through pain, but like James, we can say, we can rejoice in our suffering. So if the key is to know that God is with me, how do I bring myself to that place? Because I can tell you that now, and you're like, dude. And I'm not dogging anyone who's just said amen right now, but we can be in that place of like, amen, Lord, thank you, God. And then by lunch, and I got no money to... They want to go to that restaurant. I got no money for that place. Or, you know, by Monday, I got to go to work. Oh, my boss. And or Tuesday, I'm doing the bills. Oh, my goodness. Ah, you know, how do I keep that fresh? How do I stay in that place? Because if I asked you, majority of you that have given your life to Jesus, if God is with you, you'd be like, yeah, God's with me. But do you feel that way all the time? And if you don't, do you believe it, though? And if you don't, then how can you bring yourself to a Because the upgrade is not going to be that you believed it once in your week. You need to continually be confident that God is with you. So I've, I felt like the Lord gave me some insight here from Genesis 28. And the first thing I, I want to show you is that in verse 13 here, and I have three points, and this is the first point, and I'll give you what that point is right now. And it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I'll give to you and your descendants. Jacob was not a good man. And he didn't deserve anything from God. Yet Jacob was in the line of a good man. He says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was one of these heroes of the faith in the Bible. And God made a promise to Abraham because Abraham proved himself faithful. God said, Abraham, even though you don't have any kids right now, I'm going to bring an entire nation through your line. Abraham, even though you have no land, I'm going to give this entire region to your children. And what does the Bible say? Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, God made a promise to Abraham because he was faithful. Jacob was not faithful. Jacob was not righteous. And so how does God just come and give him this, you know, you read this, this awesome promise? Because Jacob was in the line of Abraham. What does that have to do with me? If you've given your little self to Jesus, you're in Christ. And I felt this very strongly, that some of you do not believe God is for you, because even as a Christian, you haven't lived necessarily, and I'm not looking at anybody, like, don't let eyes land on me, but you have not lived the way you should even be living as a believer we're all honest, none of us, you know, none of us are totally there yet. And But you need to know God with you has nothing to do with you. You see, Jesus, God made a promise to Jesus that Jesus would get everything. And the Lord said, I'm going to work around their messed up lives. I'm going to stick them in Christ so that they can get everything. You see, when I, and when I say everything, I, I'm talking about Oh, we'll get into that. But you need to know that God was for Christ. And if you're in Christ, he is for you. 
and it has nothing to do with your character. It all has to do with the blood of Jesus. It all has to do with the cross. You died on the cross with Jesus. So with him, you have been seated in heavenly places, it says in Ephesians 2 and 3. Jesus was seated at the highest place above every principality, power, and dominion. You were seated with him. You think God is for you? Yeah, God is for you. And it has nothing to do with you. So you can't leave this room today and say, I'm too screwed up for God to be for me. God made a promise and it has nothing to do with you. He made a promise to Jesus. He's with Jesus, and if he's with Jesus, he's with you because you're in Christ. So let's, let's stop acting like our character makes God change how his attitude towards us. Our character is very important. But that's not this message this morning. Your promise of God for you is, a, is about a covenant that was made to someone who is better than you so you can receive the benefit thereof. And Jacob had the same situation. So the first point being is that it's all by grace. It's all by grace. It's all by a covenant that you did not earn. And that's good news right there. And some of you need to just take that and go home with that. It's good. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. It's good. Um, In Genesis 28, we also see something. Let me just double check what verse I wanted to pull this from. Okay. Well, from the same verse, it says, And behold, the Lord stood about it and said, and said, So if I want to be conscious of the fact that God is always with me, I, one, need to be conscious that it's always by grace. But two, I need to be conscious of all the things that God has said. God has said to me. God has said for me. I need to keep those things in my mind. Because if I forget what he says, sometimes that's all I I got at the moment. I don't feel like God is with me. And guess what? I might have done something really stupid. and, And... and I'm in a situation where my gifting should come out, and I shirk away, and man, how am I going to be doing anything God's called me to do? Guess what? I go, back to, I go back to what God said. And I've preached before here about the fact that we need to keep, for example, the prophetic words that God has given us in front of us. If God says, you're this, if God has shown you things in Scripture, if God is, is telling you things personally, you need to keep those things at the forefront Because the only reason God tells you something like that is because you're going to have to believe it despite how everything looks. I'm excited when I get prophetic words, but I've learned that when I get a prophetic word, it means I'm going to go through something that's going to make me not want to believe that word. That's why I get the word. Why would God tell you something that's apparent? He tells you something that's not apparent. (laughs) That's a good... He's giving you promises, and they doesn't look like you're going to get them. I'm telling you. But what God wants you to do is believe what he said. Now, I, I want to share something that uh, kind of relates to my next point too, but I'll, I'll throw it in this part. That I personally, for example, I like to meditate on God's love for me. And there are days I don't feel like the Lord loves me. There are days I don't feel like God cares about me. Again, I've done stupid things, even as a Christian. I've done things I don't think should even keep me in positions I'm in. 
Yet again, it's about the cross. And when I'm not feeling the way I should be feeling about myself, or the way God says he feels about me, what do I do? One of the things I do is I go back to what he said. I'm going to just read you some things I meditate on. And I try to do this honestly throughout my day. Because I'm telling you guys, I, I truly believe God has some amazing things for me. But um, I need to be conscious of it all the time. Because I know, I, I, isn't about Kurt, but I know from my own life, I will be called to some very difficult things. And if I'm not completely convinced 100% of the time that the Lord is with me, I will fall. And so, on Kurt, on a good day, on a bad day, what does Kurt try to remind himself? This is what I try to remind myself of, and this is obviously a particular topic. You could list a bunch of promises of the Lord, but this is, these are near and dear to my heart. Romans 5, 8 um, says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. It had nothing to do with you from the beginning. God loves you because that's who he is. I don't feel that. Well, say it till you feel it. <laughs> that's what I have to do. John fifteen nine. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And, and uh, go to the next verse, Melissa, too. John seventeen twenty three. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Those two verses from different angles basically say this. God loves you like he loves himself. God loves you like he loves himself. That's ridiculously good. That's awesome. On the day where I don't think I measure up, I, I remind myself that I am loved as the most obedient son. Why? Because that's what he said. I don't feel like it. I don't care. That's what he said. <laughs> I care, but you know how I get to the point I believe that? I remind myself what he said. I'm telling you guys, you, you want to be conscious of God for you? Keep coming back to what he said. What's he said? Psalm eighteen nineteen, David says of himself, which, if this is how God felt for David, obviously he feels that way for Jesus, and obviously he feels that way for you. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me, David talking about God, because he delighted in me. See, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. And God doesn't just like you, he delights in you. The Holy Spirit's jumping up and down inside of you because he loves you. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his ways. <laughs> Psalm 147, 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. Man, Kurt, I'm not always fearing God. It has nothing to do with you. Jesus fears God. He loves you the same way. So God takes pleasure in you. I mean, let's get, let's get around all the, the junk and just God loves you. God delights in you and he takes pleasure in you. You need to remind yourself what he said. Um, Proverbs 8.31. If you're an OSL, you know how we talk about this is wisdom in Proverbs, but... It's really a picture of Jesus and Jesus saying he was rejoicing in God's inhabited world and Jesus' delight was in the sons of man. God, Jesus delights in you. And again, if you want more explanation behind Proverbs 8, take level one. It's awesome, by the way. Plug, plug. There we go. So Isaiah 42.1. 
Kurt, are you just going to keep talking? I could. <laughs> Isaiah 42.1, this is God talking about Jesus, the Son. Behold, my servant whom I behold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Wait, Kurt, that's about how God feels about Jesus. And guess where you're in? You're in Jesus. God delights in you. God's ecstatic about you. You're not going to believe God's for you if you don't believe that. <laughs> I remind myself what he says. Isaiah 62, 4. Actually, that whole passage of Isaiah is great. But this verse is awesome. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hezdubah and your land Beulah, which uh, in another translation actually translates those words. The Hezdubah part is literally saying, you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. This is what God said would be the names of his chosen people in the new covenant. Guess who's his chosen people in the new covenant? Us. God says, my name over you is, my delight is in her. Her being the bride of Christ, the people of Israel, the chosen people. For you guys, we can say, my delight is in him. But you get the picture, my delight is in you. This is what God says. I don't feel that way. Are you reminding yourself what Jesus said? There's more, but let's just end with Zephaniah 3.17 in this part. We're not done with the sermon. <laughs> Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will re- rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is like dancing over you. God is singing over you. God is delighting over you. And it has nothing to do with your character. You there's other passages that show that God delights when we do act right. Don't get me wrong. But there's a delight of the Lord that is for you simply because you're in Christ. There's a delight of God that's in you because you're a son of God. And there was a delight of God in you when you were a sinner. Because what does it say? Jesus loved us even when we were sinners. So Jacob needed to remind himself what God said. You need to do the same thing. Now if his promises for your finances... You need to remind yourself what he said about that. But I'm telling you, all this stuff about the love of God, and for some of us guys, we're like, okay, that's mushy. Come on, let's get to the real meaty stuff. Guys, I'm telling you, this is the most practical thing I do throughout my whole day, is remind myself God is with me. You see, when I don't know God's with me, I'm not really motivated to work, because I'm not sure I'm going to succeed. But I don't know God is with me. I'm, I'm not very nice to people because God doesn't like me, no one likes me. Why should I act like, you know, whatever? A.W. A. Tozer says, any, any problem in the world comes down to a wrong thinking of God and a wrong thinking of yourself. So you need to think right thoughts. And you need to make those right thoughts align with his thoughts and his thoughts about you. I could lend on this part, but I got one more good point. So this is the third point. Not only do you need to remember us by grace, you need to remember... Uh, about what he said. But it says here in uh, verse 12 of chapter 28, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. 
Jacob was given an extraordinary vision. God's given me pictures in my mind before, but I've never had what's called an open vision where you can actually see with your very eyes something that's only by the Spirit. There are people who can. I've met people in this church even. But I've never experienced that. But that's what Jacob's having, and it's actually in the form of a dream. But he literally sees heaven open and this ladder and angels are going up and down and God is like right there. Why do you think he like woke up like, this place is awesome. Like he has no idea that it's really about God's love for Abraham, God's love for him. He just thinks he's in the house of God. That's what he calls it, Bethel. Jacob has this encounter and the encounter was to continually remind him that God was with him. But you see, we have an advantage over Jacob. Where Jacob would have God visit him on occasion, you can encounter God every single day, throughout your day. Dave talked about this a week ago when he said, you know, we need to continually be filled with the Spirit from Ephesians 5. How do you get filled with the Spirit? You, you have a lifestyle of worship and prayer. Constantly filled, constantly praised. Thanks, Melissa. I didn't even realize it was there. Um, that as we would constantly praise the Lord, you open yourself up to encounter the very presence that's in you. Again, God's always abiding in you, but when you turn your heart to him, it's amazing how much you actually sense him there. You are supposed to, like Jacob, have continual encounters with God, and those encounters leave you in a place of remembering God is for me. I could have the worship team up, come up, um, I throughout my day do this. And I, this is not about Kurt, and Kurt doesn't even do this great. I don't even do this in any way awesome, but I'm telling you, this is my goal. I don't care if I have to work eight hours that day on something not related to church. I don't care if I forget about it. I don't, I don't care. I always try to bring my mind throughout my day back to, one, what has God said? And two, I try to continually encounter him I'm going to tell you something. You can encounter God wherever you're at. I work at a library part-time. I've had moments where I'm in the library, and I'm, I'm wanting to encounter Jesus. You know, no one's coming up to the desk. I'm behind the desk, and I'm just praying in the Spirit. That can sense the presence of God. I'm going over some scripture I've memorized, and I can sense the presence of God. I'm, I'm worshiping to myself. I'm worshiping in the back, and I want to start laughing. I want to start crying. And sometimes it doesn't always manifest itself in some way I can feel because... I believe the moment you step into worship, your spirit's connecting. Your flesh will catch up later. But I'm telling you guys, you can do this throughout your day, and I encourage you to do it. Because here's the inverse. I felt strongly from the Lord that you need to actually believe God is for you. What did Goliath want to do? He wanted to subject Israel to oppression. What did the people of Canaan want to do to Joshua? They wanted to destroy them. You're not in this life, mm, I'll believe God maybe if I want. Uh, God has set you up for a season to win, but if you don't believe God is for you, you will fall flat on your face. Now, you want to know the beautiful thing about the kingdom? You get to take every test until you pass it. There's no failures because you get to take every test until you pass it. Failed morally, you get to take that test again. Okay, now I want you to live more. Like, you failed? God will, you'll take tests until you pass. 
I'd rather not take the same test multiple times. And I'm telling you for your life, it, you, need to, you need to believe God is for you in this season. Because some of you are, especially in places, and I know some stories and I sense it just from the Spirit, that some of you are in a place in your life that if you do not believe God is for you, you do not make it your continual practice. You might even walk away from the Lord because you will get so offended at the fact that God doesn't love you when he really does. But he's just asking you, believe me, believe me. So what we're doing this morning is going to be a little bit different. Um, we're going to take communion, but that's not different. What we're going to do, uh, we're going to do something in taking communion that's a little different. So I'm going to keep talking, but I first actually want everyone who's taking communion, again, this is voluntary, but for those of you who are taking communion, actually, let's just all stand, please. For those of you taking communion, actually grab your element now, and we're going to do this together. So I'm going to grab mine, and I'm going to keep talking because um, I have something to say. So uh, part of the reason we're doing communion now is you... You need to know, you need to be convinced that none of God for you has anything to do with your character. You need to be convinced that God for you is about what Jesus did on the cross. And because we all come to that place, whether that's what you need to believe right now or not, we're all coming to that place. Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, or they said of Jesus that the night he was betrayed that he took a cup of wine and said, this is my blood of the new covenant. He took a broken piece of bread, which actually would have been a lot like this cracker, and said, this is my body that was broken for you. And we all come before the Lord and say, you're for me, and this says it all. Now, I still need to remind myself what he said, and I still need to encounter him, and actually we're going to do that. We're going to take communion right now, we're going to acknowledge what the Lord has done for us, and I'll lead that, us in that in a second. And then we're going to spend half an hour, 40 minutes, worshiping God. And I encourage you to stay. Don't, especially those of you who have kids, don't grab them yet. They're still doing stuff for the kids in the back. Um, but we're going to practice now what we're going to do the rest of this week. This isn't about, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to keep thinking about God so God likes me. No, no, I keep thinking about he likes me so I worship him. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I don't feel like worshiping Jesus, I remind myself, one, my spirit's excited to be with God. And then two, he's excited to be with me. I just remind, oh, you delight in me. And I don't even have to tell myself worship him. I do. So bow your heads with me and close your eyes and let's just receive. Lord, I thank you for this cup of the new covenant and this uh, bread that represents your body. Lord, we receive. And we rebuke the lie that you're not for us. We declare, God, that you are for us. And what I can't see with my eyes, I choose to see with faith. I thank you for that this morning. your name, Lord, I pray. Amen. So go ahead and take the cup and the bread. And, Scott, if you could lead us in encountering the Lord.